This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. We're going to look today at the seventh commandment, which you will find in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. But once you've found that, if you could keep your finger there, but also switch over to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 5, because in Matthew chapter 5, we find Jesus teaching on the seventh commandment. That's in verse 27. So we've got Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14 and Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. And just one other place. Takes a little dexterity with the fingers, but I think we can do it. Just one other place. That would be Hebrews chapter 13 and and verse 4. So that's three scripture texts, they're going to provide for us the biblical background for our study this morning on the seventh commandment. Now I'll read these three as we begin. First, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Matthew chapter 5 Verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. These three verses show us the importance of marital faithfulness. Marriage is important. It ought to be admired, it ought to be appreciated, it ought to be loved, and and we do love marriage. I think that's obvious here at Cornerstone Church. We had just yesterday in this building a wedding ceremony, and this coming Saturday afternoon there'll be another wedding ceremony here at Cornerstone. We, We love marriage. I love being married. I've been married for 32 years. It's been The greatest joy in my life after knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. Marriage is good. And it's good to celebrate marriage, to be faithful in marriage. You might have seen in the news this month the story of Hubert and June Malakot. Hubert and June both turned 100 years old this month. And... The month before, in, in, in June, they had celebrated their 79th wedding anniversary. That's a lot of years to be married, 79 years. And it gets the attention of people in the world. Their, their story was on several news programs, and you can Google it later this afternoon, and you can read about the Malakots and their 79 years of marriage. Well, Hubert and June had a special request for their birthday celebration. They wanted to celebrate in their backyard, and they asked if they could have, in in the backyard of their home, which Hubert 
built for June 68 years ago. They wanted to have a church service for their birthday. That's how they wanted to celebrate. Their daughter Jo explained it like this. She said that her parents wanted to do this so that they could, quote, just worship God and thank Him for His many blessings that He has bestowed upon this family. Indeed, they were blessed. They are blessed. Well, not everyone can remain married for that many years or live that long, but we can all acknowledge that marital faithfulness is a blessing. It's a gift from God. God has given marriage to the world and it's appropriate to celebrate it. God has given us this wonderful seventh commandment. Exodus chapter 20 verse 14. And, and he's given it to us so that we can understand how wonderful marriage is. The commandments are a gift. They're not a restriction or an inhibitation on our enjoyment of life. This is why we're calling this whole series on the Ten Commandments the good news of law. See, we live in a very confused time when it comes to the meaning of marriage and the right context for sexual intimacy. Many people would say that our culture has lost its mind on these issues, actually. Or I, would, I would certainly say that. But we, Bible-believing Christians, and anyone who will listen and pay attention can enjoy the sanity and the safety of the Seventh Commandment, which is our, our main point this morning. We may enjoy the sanity and the safety of the seventh commandment. How do we do that? Well, first of all, as we've been saying, we need to understand the goodness of marriage. The seventh commandment is written in the negative. Now, I'm not saying it's not good, but it's a negative exhortation. You shall not commit adultery. And the word adultery that you encounter in, in the Bible, both in the Hebrew of Exodus chapter 20, and also in the, the Greek quotation where Jesus quotes the, the, the seventh commandment in Matthew chapter 5, those biblical words, adultery, that it, it has a very narrow meaning. Something like this. This is what the, the Baker Bible Encyclopedia says. Adultery is sexual relations between a married woman and a man other than her husband. Or sexual relations involving a married man and another man's wife or fiancé. Now th those are terrible sins. And they are narrowly defined by that word adultery. But we'll see before we're done today that that narrow statement in the commandment is intended to be interpreted in a much broader way to cover a wide range of sins. The Old Testament does this, the New Testament does it. We'll, we'll come back to that. But I want to begin here with this simple negative commandment, you shall not commit adultery, because it's talking about marital unfaithfulness specifically. And one of the principles that we have in interpreting the Ten Commandments is that the negative commands 
include also a positive exhortation. We saw last week that the commandment, you shall not murder, would also mean that we should protect life. So with this particular commandment, you shall not commit adultery, that would also mean that we must be faithful in marriage. So that's why we want to begin our study of the seventh commandment this morning by talking about how good marriage is. And marriage is good, is really good, in fact, because God made marriage. God made marriage before sin ever entered into the world. And you can read about it in, X, in Genesis chapter 2 where, where God explains for us the sixth day of creation. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, we find, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. This is verse 21. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Have you ever seen a married couple or an engaged couple and said about the two of them, these two are made for each other? You understand if you say that, it's actually a very biblical concept because God did make a wife for a man. God did make Eve for Adam. God did make marriage and, and he, made it, he made it good. And God intended for this, this marriage, this idea of a man and woman being married to be one of the most important building blocks in the universe. It's, it's a building block for human society. It precedes every other human institution. God intended for the man and the woman to be his image bearers in the world, to have children, to fill up the world, and to take care of it. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, we read that God created man in his image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing on the earth. Marriage is a gift. It is good. It provides love and care and productivity and security and complementarian help and pleasure, including the pleasure of physical intimacy and the possibility of children in a context for building society and culture. It is very important. It is one of the foundation stones that God put in place when he was building the universe. Furthermore, God honors marriage in the New Testament 
by telling us in Ephesians 5 and verse 32 that it refers to Christ and the church. So this beautiful picture of faithful relationship between a husband and a wife is a picture of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. I really cannot think of a, of a bigger or better or greater way to say that marriage is something good. Now, single, unmarried people, of course, can have very full lives, and they do, and happy lives in their singleness. I think Drew Williams addressed that here not so very long ago in, in, a, in a very good good way for us. But this commandment, this seventh commandment is for single people too. It's for single people and it's for married people. It's for all people so that we would understand and embrace the goodness of marriage, of marriage according to God's design in creation. And it's very important for us to understand this. Because if we, if we look away from here and we look at the world out there, we will discover that the world is peddling a cheap imitation of this good thing that God created at the beginning. And cheap imitations don't satisfy. You, you can't just make up the meaning of marriage. Although our nation has done it. Supreme Court Justice Roberts pointed out that lawyers arguing to redefine marriage in 2015 admitted, quote, that they are not aware of any society that permitted same-sex marriage before 2001. That's, they are not aware of any society ever in the history of the world to, to do that. Now, I know that people throughout the, the centuries have struggled with, the, this, with, with temptation and with the sin of, of, of homosexuality, but to just redefine it as marriage is a cheap imitation. Heterosexual people have cheap imitations too. According to the Pew Research Center, marriage rates in America since the mid-90s have continued to decline and the rates of people who cohabitate, men and women living together but not married, have continued to uh, increase over that period of time. When a man and a woman live together and yet they are not married, that is a cheap imitation of God's better design in creation. Sexual activity outside of marriage, we're told by many sources, is, is widespread. The National Institutes of Health report from 2007 provides all kinds of statistics. I won't share. They're very discouraging. But, but the, the statistics are summed up by the National Institutes of Health like this. Quote, almost all Americans have sex before marriage. I don't think that's true in this room. I want to say, I don't think that's true in this room. But those who do are experiencing a cheap imitation. It's like fool's gold. It's not the real thing. Systematic theology professor Wayne Grudem writes, 
in distinction from the picture that is often painted in popular culture today. The greatest joy and fulfillment in sex are experienced not by unmarried single adults, but rather by faithful married couples, and especially faithful married couples with a strong religious commitment in their personal lives. A University of Chicago study found that religious people who are married, and, and later it's clarified, religious people who are married in this context is talking about evangelical Christians. But these religious people who are married engage in sex more frequently, find it more satisfying and fun, and have the longest lived sex lives. So what's the difference? The difference is that marriage is the real thing. It's, it's the real thing, and it's part of God's plan. So let's be careful not to let people who don't know God in the world define for us what is important when it comes to a husband and a wife and marriage. Let's not allow the world to sour our opinion of marriage. God has made it, and he's made it good. And it is, it is so good, it's, it's good far beyond physical intimacy. You know, there are happily married couples who, because of certain conditions and things they have, they don't enjoy that kind of intimacy, but they enjoy a happy marriage. The benefits are numerous, and they include years of friendship and companionship and growing together, and yes, the possibility of children and potentially grandchildren and watching them grow. God uses the wonderful gift of marriage to build the world. So... Remain faithful to God's creation, to the goodness of marriage. And secondly, we must beware of the dangers of sexual sin. It's one of the main, main intentions that God has in giving us this seventh commandment. And we've already talked about some of this. Of course, we know sin entered the world when that very first married couple listened to the lies of the devil and they disobeyed God and his good commandments. You can read all about it later in Genesis chapter 3. The man and the woman chose to do their own thing rather than to live according to God's design and instruction. So the, the cultural moment that we're living in now is really nothing new. Moses would have understood it 3,500 years ago. Jesus was living in it 2,000 years ago along with the apostles. When men and women in their sin rebel against God, there's a rift between us and, and God. And there is also a rift in our relationships with one another. And so along with the many other terrible curses of sin that impact the world, sin is a threat to the good gift of marriage that God has given to us. And there are some sins that demonstrate a direct rebellion against God by breaking this seventh commandment. Because they are rebelling against God's design and his plan for marriage. These would be sins like 
Sex between two unmarried persons, incest, homosexuality, sexual abuse, producing and looking at pornography, all of these things represent a rejection of God's plan for marriage, of marriage that God has created, and therefore they are offenses against the seventh commandment. There are many places in the Bible that we could go to, to, to demonstrate this. I'll just go to one. It's the passage that we read in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching on the seventh commandment. And we'll notice that he takes the seventh commandment, which remember we've said is very narrow and specific and negative. You shall not commit adultery. And Jesus broadens and expands on the meaning of this commandment. Here's, here's how he does it. Matthew 5 verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you see what Jesus has done? He, he's expanded our, our thinking about this seventh commandment. Looking with lustful intent. Now understand, this is not noticing that she's beautiful or that he's handsome. Okay, this, this is looking with the, the, the intention of arousing sexual interest. And Jesus is saying to us that everyone who does this is guilty of breaking the seventh commandment. Now notice he says everyone. So that's going to include married people and unmarried people. Men and women, old people and young people. The word is a very generic word, everyone. Everyone who does this is breaking the Lord's commandments. And Jesus is concerned about the heart. And he's telling us that with our eyes, we can sin in our hearts. Every time it happens, we are ignoring God's better design. We'll talk some more about that in just a second. But here I'm using it as an example of how this seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is intended to cover a wider range of sexual sins. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 that we read is telling us again that we should, we should honor marriage. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And yet it also says, let the marriage bed be undefiled. This reference to the marriage bed is it's a, a reference to sexual intimacy in marriage. And the idea is that's where that sort of intimacy is supposed, supposed to take place within the context of marriage. But outside of that context, it does not have a place. It doesn't fit outside of marriage. And so the author of Hebrews goes on to say, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Now that word there in Greek, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, which is translated sexually immoral, is based on the Greek word pornea. 
which is a word that is intended to cover a wide range of sexual sins. It's kind of a catch-all word. So its, it's meaning is, is pretty broad. So the author of Hebrews uses this word. Paul uses this word. Jesus uses the same word. It's the word pornea. So they're speaking out against all kinds of sexual sins. But of course, we get the English word pornography from that Greek root. So pornography then, if we were to literally define it, would be something like pictures of sexual immorality. And I, I want to I wanna highlight this th- this morning. Now, there, there are so many different directions we could go in right, right here. One of the challenges of teaching on the Ten Commandments, there are so many things that we could say in terms of application. So this is an example. And you, you can apply it to other areas of impurity in your life. But we'll use this as an example. I think another reason to, to just say something about pornography would be the fact that Christians throughout the centuries have been, I think, very aware of the fact that, that, that sexual relations between men and women outside of marriage is wrong and have steadily, steadily taught that it is wrong. And I think Christians in our time today in the 21st century have been, Bible-believing Christians have been talking about how homosexuality is wrong. Bill mentioned it in the introductory sermons to this series. So we are aware that these things are an offense against God's good plan in in designing marriage as part of creation. But I wonder if we have given equal attention to understanding how damaging it is to look at pornography. Jesus said, you can commit adultery with your eyes and in your heart. And in today's very visual, media-saturated, internet time, this is a serious problem. And I want to be very careful this morning. I've been thinking about and praying about this all week. I want to be careful here because it would not be my desire this morning to to press hard and lay a burden on someone in this room who is already feeling the deep guilt and shame because they're looking at at pornography. What I would like to do this morning is to give you a tool in your toolbox, a new biblical category that will help you fight the sin of pornography. And this is that category that I want to give you. I want to place your 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 thinking about pornography and your fight against pornography right in the seventh commandment where God is talking about how good marriage is and how we should be faithful in marriage. Because when, when you look at pornography, you, you, are, you are not just sinning in that moment because you are enjoying some illegitimate entertainment or, or some release of stress or, or something like that in, in that moment. It's not just about the physical gratification. When you look at pornography, then you are offending if you're married you, you are breaking your marriage covenant that you made with your spouse. 
it's not just about that moment of looking. You, you are being unfaithful to the one that you love. And if you are a single person and you're looking at, at, at pornography, then you, you may be looking at someone else's spouse or someone who will be someone's spouse one day. And there's a kind of a treachery in doing that sort of thing. Oh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's not just about images that you look at and about how you might feel as you look at those images. You are sinning against another person. You're, you're, you're sinning against others. You are sinning against God's created design and that he made, he made sexual intimacy to be something that's enjoyed in a married relationship. And ultimately, of course, you're sinning against God. King David committed the sin of adultery and he was very aware that he had sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. And yet when he wrote his psalm of confession to the Lord, Psalm 51, he said to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Looking at pornography is rebellion against God and His good plan in creating marriage. And of course, this is just one example. So I'd like for you to, you know, if we could, just sort of unroll that in our minds and, and think about how we could apply this same thought to all kinds of other sexual sins. We do not want to be treacherous relationally with other people, certainly not with our spouses or with anyone. We want to love other people and be faithful by protecting their purity. And we want to be faithful to our God. We want to honor our God who made marriage and who made it good. So understand the goodness of marriage. Beware of sexual sin. We can also thank God and hear this this morning, please. We can thank God that he is merciful. And so this, this final point is important for everyone in this room. Because it would be very convicting to hear some of this stuff. The way Jesus treats the commandments is very, very convicting. And so, finally, we, we must embrace the good news of God's grace. God, God has good news for sinners. But just to set that up though, we, we have to understand that when we talk about the good news of salvation, we're saved from something. What are we saved from? Well, we can find the answer in Ephesians 5 and verse 5 where the apostle writes, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, that's that word pornea again, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So just two quick things. One is, let no one deceive you with, with empty words. Okay, there, there are people in the world and lots of them who would think much of what we've said here this morning is ridiculous. Those are empty words. Do, do not be deceived. And another thing to see here is the wrath of God comes upon sinners. 
God's wrath comes. That, that's the bad news, okay? But here's where the good news gets really good. That's what we're saved from through faith in Jesus Christ. Every sinner, including every adulterer, including everyone who's committed some kind of sexual sin, when they trust in Jesus Christ, they are saved from that wrath of God. So in our Heart for Scripture reading this week, if you're reading through the Bible with us, then we read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a very interesting description of, of, of a little church in the city of Corinth in the first century. We find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Well, it's, we're going we're gonna to have to get there by starting in verse 9. Or do you not know, this is Paul writing, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, there's pornea again, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You hear that? This is really important. Such were some of you. And I think we could look around the room here, all of us who've trusted Christ as Savior, and such were we. God takes people who are sinners and rebels against His good design and creation and His Word. And in Christ Jesus... He changes them and he makes them new. So if you're here this morning and you feel under conviction because of this teaching about the seventh commandment, don't leave without hearing the good news that in Jesus Christ you can be made new and you can be washed clean of all your sins. The rest of verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 6, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God makes all things new. Repenting and trusting in God's grace in Christ Jesus can help an unfaithful husband become faithful. Trusting in the grace of Christ Jesus can help a hurting woman find wholeness and healing. God's grace can make broken marriages strong. Now, you, you may be sitting here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, Stephen, but you don't know me. Or you don't know us. You don't know how deep the pain is. You don't know how broken things are. And that may be true that I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus Christ said, nothing is impossible with God. And if you seek the face of the Lord, there is hope even for you in your situation, in your marriage, whatever your past may be, you can have a vision for marital faithfulness if you're married. Whatever your past may be, you can have a vision for sexual purity if you're single. You can be faithful and 
you can do that with the help of the Lord. There's something very beautiful about faithfulness. It's beautiful and the world notices. Proverbs 20 verse 6. Many a man proclaims his steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Well, I think around here there are lots of faithful men. And I think in this room this morning there are men who depending upon God's grace can and will become faithful in their marriages. And I know in this room there are many faithful women. And I believe there are in this room women who depending upon the grace of Jesus Christ can and will become faithful in their marriages. I believe there are single people in this room who maybe you'll marry one day, maybe you won't, but you can walk in purity in this life depending upon the grace of Jesus Christ to help you do this. God, by His grace, saves repentant sinners. He heals broken marriages. He helps marriages to grow. Now we see lots of healthy marriages in, in our church. Thank God for that. It's very well known in our church that Steve and Peggy Harrison have been married longer than even Bill Kittrell has been alive. It's, it's a powerful example of, of faithfulness. And it gets our attention. It, it really gets our attention just to see this beautiful picture of faithfulness. You know what it does? It preaches loudly to a very cynical world. Just something simple like that. A husband and wife loving one another and, and staying with one another and battling sin and, and overcoming it and, and, and extending grace to one another. It preaches to our culture. It's, it's a beautiful thing. But you need to understand that those kinds of marriages come by the grace of God. Psalm 27 verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Well, that, that statement is actually an invitation. <laughs> it's an invitation to you to let the Lord build your house, to seek the face of the Lord in your marriage. And if you seek the face of God in your marriage, He'll build it. God builds marriages and He uses marriages to build the world. And that's good news for all those who are struggling. And I, I know... I know that there, there must surely be some who are sitting here this morning and you have found this sermon to be challenging because you've, you know you have sinned against your spouse. Or maybe you sit here and you, you, you just, you're not feeling it because you know your spouse has sinned against you. I just want to encourage you, invite you, plead with you to seek help from God. Those who have sinned to repent of sin and trust in His power to change your life and your marriage, He can do it. We've seen Him do it again and again and again. He does this kind of thing all the time. Maybe you're here this morning, you're single, the, the guilt of, you, you feel the guilt of sin in your life. In the area of sexual purity, the grace of God is for you too. Jesus says he's making all things new. In Romans chapter 10, we read, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. It's a great little set of verses for evangelism. But that's Romans 
chapter 10, verse 10, but in the verse that follows, verse 11, the scripture says, and you will never be put to shame. I notice that because I do biblical counseling. And there are people who struggle with the guilt and shame of sexual sin. Friends, I want you to know that the blood of Christ washes away the shame of sexual sin. And all of us who are guilty can come to him for grace. We, we get to enjoy the sanity and the safety of the seventh commandment. And understand the goodness of marriage. And beware of sin. And yet lean upon the grace of our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Ten Commandments. We thank you for this Seventh Commandment. Feels negative to talk about sin and its ugliness, Lord. But this commandment is pushing us towards Jesus Christ. So that we can experience the grace of forgiveness and new life in Him. And it also highlights the wonderful gift of marriage. We thank you for marriage, Lord. Teach us to be a faithful people. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.